Welcome to the episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. My name is Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And it's October, so we have to be talking about horror this month. Last month, last week we talked about Psycho. This week we're going back. We're, we're diving even deeper into the slasher genre. But just to, just to recap real quick, or Thomas, how's your October going so far with your movie watching before we talk about the slasher genre? How, how's it going for you? It's going well. There's been some there's been some hidden gems in my in my Spooktoberfest adventures. Yeah. Um been some been some disappointments, been some lackluster <laughs> uh viewings, but but you know, they're not all gonna be great. But um I've 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 had some some really cool ones that uh that I have really enjoyed. Uh Demon I I saw oh, yeah, for de- the first I time. It, Demons, right? Was what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I feel like we should have covered that last. If you didn't l- listen last year, we did body horror, but that is a fantastic body horror. I liked it more than some of the ones that we watched for the body horror month last what, last month. Why are you hating on the Cronenberg stuff that we watched? What are you, what are you talking about? I just I I think that the entire world is gaslighting me that Scanners is a good movie, and I'll never get over it. <laughs> I was like Scanners, uh, Shivers. You're not you're not talking about Shivers. Was that? I like the brood. I love the brood. brood. Was good. Love the fly. I liked rabbit too. That was one I really liked. Um, but yeah, I, I need to try to watch some more body hard this this month. I haven't done that yet. Um, I've seen some really interesting. One I watched re- recently uh, was well, when I when I had COVID when I was like in a weird place mentally. Uh, I watched uh, Messiah of Evil. Uh, so I've seen that one. Messiah of Evil is interesting. Like. Uh, it's it's this woman who's who's searching for like this miss her father basically in Point Dune out like by the beach up like up mm-hmm. past Malibu and stuff, but it was directed and written by the two writers who helped Lucas write American Graffiti, uh, Willard Huyick Hoy- I believe, sorry for butchering the name and Gloria Katz. And so it's like it's it's like there's some really beautiful images in it. It's a, it's a flawed film for sure, but just like the way it's like shot. And the production design is very interesting. The way they like, incorporate art to it, so it's it's very, it's really cool to watch. So it's, if you want like kind of obscure, like lo-fi seventies horror, beach town horror, this is like one to watch. <laughs> and it's streaming on like every site, like Paramount, Hoopla, Shutter, Prime. So ninety minutes and you're out. It's nice. it's, it's worth checking out. Um, but yeah, but going into horror. As I said, we're talking about slashers this month. And Thomas, what did we talk about last week? Just give a recap of the slasher genre so far. We got we got in very early last week with yeah. Psycho. But <clears throat> we talked about how a lot of the, the slashers, especially the early ones, had a mystery involved. Um, whether it was who was doing the killing or, you know, where the killer came from, what's the killer's motivation. And we, we see... A lot of them, and we'll talk about this a little bit more today, uh, a lot of the genre stems from murder mysteries. Very popular genre, been around forever and ever and ever. And we start to see as murder mysteries, as as kind of the ratings, uh, as the Hayes Code falls back and more violence is, is allowed on screen, then you can add more uh shock effects you can add more gore yeah. whatever you to to the murders and all of a sudden boom your murder mystery becomes a horror film yeah. and and so a lot of these slashers kind of owe their uh 
owe their origin to that, which we will talk about today as well. But um, we talked specifically with Psycho about how it kind of led the way, not just in horror, but any kind of genre, how unthinkable it was at the time to kill off your main character halfway into the movie, which which has become something that is kind of a staple of slasher films, or at least, you know, the Scream franchise, at yeah. least. But the, this idea that, that no one is safe, it doesn't matter how famous you are, that doesn't mean you're going to make it through this movie. Yeah. Or even the opening opening reel, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I Going into this, I really didn't think much about the mystery element. I always felt like... It was weird. I actually thought that the murder mystery element was more of a exception than actual, like... Like, I felt like it was in the minority, because like, I always thought of Scream, and like, oh, that's really just Scream. But like you said, when you look at it, there is some sort of element of mystery to a lot of these films. Whether it be mm-hmm. like Scream, you're like, who's behind the mask that's doing the killings? Or if it's the, like we talked about last week, the lore of it all. If it's, who is Freddy Krueger? Why is yeah, he why doing... Is, why is Freddy so mad? Yeah, why is he doing <laughs> the things he's doing? Um uh who is michael myers and why is he wanting to and like i think what makes halloween so interesting is that it doesn't really explain it fully mm-hmm. and then this this the sequels start to give more like backstory of like why michael's doing what he's doing why he's targeting laurie strode uh etc um there's always some kind of lore to to some of these uh movies yeah and psycho as we talked about kind of established a lot of different tropes like kind of uh around the genre and we talked about how like it it also was a weird mixture of noir films and uh a horror film and i guess Mm -hmm. with mystery like i think some some noir films like a detective story in a way you could argue that Mm -hmm. like a noir detective uh has is like weird there's weird dna compared to that with horror films so it's interesting to think about that um and yeah i i you'll you'll be talking about me more today than i will in terms of introducing it but I will say when we wa- when I watched this, I was like, "Wow, this has like some weird psycho vibes to it." Mm-hmm. Like there there are some similarities to this movie we're talking about today from from to compared to Psycho. So Thomas, what are we talking about today? So today we'll be talking about the house that screamed, originally released as La Residencia in Spain, released in 1969. Uh, it's a film about a boarding school for troubled young women we never really find out what makes them so troubled uh that is run over that is run with an iron fist by a a staunch headmistress but uh some when some girls start turning up missing uh some of the other students start looking into the more uh frightening aspects of the school Mm -hmm. our cast we've got uh lily palmer in the lead we'll talk a little bit about her but she's really the only person of of name in this film we've got john Mulder brown mary maud christina galbo and maribel martin as for the crew it was written and directed by narcisco ibanez serador i definitely bungled that one i'm sorry i took <laughs> spanish in high school and college i could never roll my r's yeah um it was shot by manuel berenger and Godofredo pacheco was edited by Mercedes Alonso and Reginald Mills, and music done by Waldo de los Rios. So normally here I would ask Brandon, what's your history with this film? But I know your history with this film because I was there. <laughs> I was there when it was written. Um, it was, yeah, you were. We, 
you know, have this, you, you still have this, we do, but yeah, yeah. I used to participate in this, in this club where we watched movies every Friday based off of a list yeah. before written you, by Edgar Wright. Before you moved, don't just like mm. th- Thomas just stopped straight. He moved, he moved away. He's a different yeah. city. Um, and it would go around. So we had this long list of like, what is it? A, a thousand, thousand movies, a thousand parent movies. Yeah. Yeah. Of Edgar um, Wright. of Edgar Wright. And we would, someone get nominated to pick. And my goal in picking was always to find the weirdest title because he, Edgar Wright likes a lot of very different movies and, yeah. and you would just scroll through this list and scroll and scroll and scroll and you could never like stop and like look up the plot of each one. Yeah. So I was just like, I'm going to scroll through the list. I'm going to pick out the weirdest titles. We're going to watch that one. That's also how we were wound up watching uh, the legend of hell house yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. Also a fun film. Also a mm-hmm. fun film. But I picked this one and we all kind of strapped in to watch it. And I think we all expected it to be kind of camp and schlocky. Yeah. And and then we sat down for it and it was kind of slow. And then I just remember like everyone's kind of sitting. We're all kind of joking about it. And then the first murder happens. And I feel like we all just kind of like lean forward on the couch. Yeah, and we were I, like, think, Hold I up. think your reaction was like, whoa, Edgar Wright. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> it was and like we 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 when it was done, we actually went back and replayed that sequence because we mm-hmm. were so like. It was just, and we'll talk about probably in favorite scenes for sure, but it felt so the opposite of what you were expecting. Mm-hmm. Like it was weirdly, the way the score was done, it was almost like romantic in a way, which was odd. Mm-hmm. Like it had this very like calm, soothing score and a murder was happening and it was just completely like shocking, uh, mm-hmm. which we weren't expecting. So it was very much, it was one, like you said, it, we, we, I think you were picking movies that you thought would be schlocky just based on the title, just because yes. I think you were about to move and you wanted to like have some fun or whatever with these. And this one came, and like, I actually, we actually know someone, I remember someone in the group who left because they thought it was going to be like super scary. Uh, and they didn't want to stay for it. They didn't want to be scared. And, mm-hmm. and this is what I don't, I don't know if this is a super scary movie i think the ending is a, is a weird gut punch at the end but it's very atmospheric and just creepy yeah that's kind of the thing. i think it, i think it's it's a lot closer to a gothic horror yeah than 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 you know and it obviously has slasher dna um yeah. which is why we're talking about it this week uh early slasher dna but it is kind of this gothic horror dipping into slasher kind of thing and it and it is a lot more about atmosphere and it and it's got you know, it, it, as far as the storytelling goes, it's got a lot more to say than just yes murder. Um, yes, and and so it, it it covers a lot of ground. But but yeah, so it's it's one you know we watched it and it obviously stuck out. And then a few years later, I went back and rewatched it, and I was like, yeah, I, as this is great and it is beautiful. Just yeah, the way it's shot and the the set design and the costumes, it is it is such a, a a lavish horror film um i agree it, it was it was one still out of the list that we because we've been doing that 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 list for for years now and i still put it up there as one of the most one of the biggest surprises that we've watched yes because not it, not one i i don't know that either of us would have found it otherwise yeah, which we'll talk about yeah. why 
why it hasn't kind of yeah. lived on. Yeah, it's one that like I, I think of all the other ones like I, I had heard of before before we watched them. Like, oh yeah, I've heard of that or whatever. Maybe to watch it or whatever. And I we discovered it that way. But this is one I felt I think it was one of the first ones we watched that were like none of us had a clue what it was and where it was coming from. All I know we got a, there was a Blu-ray from Cinephile Video in LA and we rented it there. That's and we and we knew nothing about it going into it. All right, so shall we dive into it? Yeah. The history of the house that screamed involves a very brief and admittedly extremely simplistic refresher on fascism in Spain. So I'm sorry, <laughs> history majors, if the, you're like that's that doesn't even that make sense. delve underneath the surface. I'm like I'm just just giving you a little bit of context. So during the Spanish Civil War between Republicans and natu- nationalists. Uh, Generalissimo Francisco Franco emerged as the leader of the nationalist factions and was declared head of state in Spain in 1939. He He's ruled still dead, as a dictator. Yes, <laughs> Franco is still dead. He ruled as a dictator from 1939 to his death in 1975 and implemented strict totalitarian policies, including Spanish nationalism, national Catholicism, monarchism, national conservatism, anti-communism, and anti-liberalism. So it's a lot of isms. A lot of yeah, a lot of antis too. Yes, yes. Uh, And as with any totalitarian regime, art in Spain at that time was strictly regulated. When looking back at that period, however, and especially at the late 1960s, as Franco's grip on the culture was beginning to slip, you can see a pattern of one particular subsection of art and pop culture that was able to speak on anti-fascist themes without bringing down the wrath of the government. Mm -hmm. So this this is uh, perhaps best contributed to the age-old ignorant belief that horror can't convey deeper themes about the world you know it's just just about scaring people there's nothing nothing going on in horror movies yeah uh horror in the late 1960s was able to flaunt anti-fascist sentiments right under the government's nose and one man in particular was the most prominent in the late 1960s narcisco even as cerador was what you might call the rod serling of spain um i have heard other people call him the hitchcock of spain mm. he was the son of a stage actor and he was raised in show business he made his uh debut directing the glass menagerie on stage oh wow i didn't realize that was adapted into uh Sp- spanish for spanish audiences yeah. but there you go uh and then he moved into television in the late 50s in 1966 he created the anthology series historias para no dormir which translates to stories to keep you awake that told socially relevant morality tales through the lens of horror, which you might recognize as the same kind of thesis of Rod Serling's Twilight Zone in America. Yep. In the late 1960s, eager to break into the lucrative American film markets, a studio that was funded in part by the Spanish government reached out to Serador with interest of producing a feature film that would recreate the success of his anthology series. At this point, Euro horror was Euro horror was already a popular export from Spain to America as B movies, and the studio believed shooting the film in English would lead to A movie level success. So Serador produced the screenplay for La Residencia based on an idea that had been pitched by one of his staff writers at his TV show. Kind of seemed like something that they could flesh out, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. into a bigger story than a thirty minute TV episode. Possibly out of fear of the consequences of his veiled anti-fascist script landing in the wrong hands, Serador Cer- signed his script with the pen name uh, Luis Pinafiel. So I guess if, if he turned that script in, he was like, here you go, what, what do you guys think yeah. of the script? And then they were like, 
It's terrible. Oh, this, this is this, awful. We demand to know who wrote it. He's like, this, ah, this jerk over here wrote it. This, this yeah. dude, Luis, yeah, he, you know what? He disappeared. I have no idea where he went. <laughs> but who knows who, if, if anyone at the Franco regime was tasked with reading the script. But the, uh, the themes obviously went over their heads as the studio agreed to produce the film with the stipulation that it be shot in English to be distributed in America. With that in agreement, Serador was given 50 million pesetas to make his film, making it one of the most expensive Spanish films to date and the first Spanish film shot in English intended for American release. A uh, budget of 50 million pesetas translates to roughly about $2.5 million today. That's still a good bit for, for mm-hmm. at, that, at that point. So the requirement to make the film in English presented a casting challenge. It would be difficult to cast only Spanish native actors who could also speak English. And then you had accents to worry about, especially because the film is meant to be set in uh, France. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure the, the just like setting it in France was just another way to be like, look, this doesn't have anything to do with Franco. Yeah, yeah. Like it's in France. And, and, and I don't, I want to step on this here, but talking about like, with with accents and stuff that's why a lot of these european productions at this point had dubbing essentially mm-hmm. where yeah. you had a mixture of accents essentially or people yeah. who didn't speak english yeah and that's that's ultimately what they decided with this one you know cast as wide a net as possible cast local spanish actors cast whatever international actors you can get and then we'll dub anyone that that we need to mm-hmm. um so that everyone eventually ends up speaking English. That, that was most popular at the time with spaghetti westerns yeah. in the in the sixties. You know, when you watch when you watch those Sergio Leone yeah, movies, yeah. and you're like, Clint Eastwood speaking English, but like that other guy's not speaking English. Yeah. That's and, uh, and, and a lot of time too. It's also based off visuals. They didn't want to have to worry about carrying audio equipment and like, oh, let's mm-hmm. let's let's. They didn't want to lessen the visuals to help the audio. Weirdly, mm-hmm. sorry for the sound people that listen to our show. <laughs> that's the way the Europeans were at that point I in time. It felt like get, get that boom out that shot. Uh, so this decision opened up the possibility to cast actors from across Europe, bringing in Lily Palmer, a notable Hollywood actress who had moved back to Germany after her divorce from Rex Harrison. And uh, some up and coming young actors, including John Mulder Brown from England, who would go on to become a British heartthrob in the seventies and eighties. But many of the young girls for the film were cast from Spain, including Christina Galbo, who would play Therese, although Mary Maud as Irene Tupan was British as well. The film was shot on location in Comillas on the northern coast of Spain in Cantabria. Comillas had gained a reputation as a seaside resort for the aristocracy in the last in the late 1800s spawning many gothic mansions presenting filming opportunities for the production. Um, only a few of the sets were needed to be recreated, and those were done on the soundstage where Serador's TV show was shot. Okay. That very much like Psycho, it feels like. where they're... Yes, very Psycho. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, from, from everything I've heard about Serador's show, it was somewhere between the Alfred Hitchcock Presents and, yeah. and, and Twilight Zone, but, um, but very, very popular at the time. Mm-hmm. So, Brandon, what are some of your favorite scenes from La Residencia? I will say this with, with this movie. A lot of it's more vibes than scenes. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like just the, the mass, the, the, like, I think the very detailed production design, I think the cinematography is great. Um, I mean, let's talk about that first kill, because I think that's where 
everything really kind of changes in mm-hmm. this movie. And we haven't mentioned it, but like this is usually classified by some people as a giallo, and giallos being murder mysteries, mostly out of Italy is what it would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll dive we'll dive into giallo a little bit with the aftermath of this one okay, since cool. it was an earlier giallo. Yeah, so a lot. So a lot. It's not on a lot of people's list usually with giallos because it's out of Spain, but it has that that murder mystery quality to it, which is what a big what a giallo usually is. Um, and, but yeah, that 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 scene where one of the characters gets murdered. It's a it's a young girl who's uh, kind of has a relationship with with uh, with Louise or who his character is. Uh, yeah, Louise. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes out one night expecting to meet with him because she gets mm-hmm. this on this this letter from someone and she assumes it to be him. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes into the greenhouse and then all of a sudden this what you think it could be building towards this kill it turns into like a slow motion shot of the knife coming in but it's not like it's not it's not like it's not a jump scare really is the thing mm-hmm. uh and you have the knife and it's a slow-mo kill but you have this music playing and then it almost has the like like it almost like it's like the the battery on the music box is dying dying or whatever mm-hmm. and it's like slowing down almost mimicking her lose like her losing her life her life is she's slowly dying um and the music is mimicking that in a way and it's just a, mm-hmm. the way, way he's doing using cinema it, it reminds me a little bit like french new wave stuff of how like you, mm-hmm. you break up uh the the norm in some way where it's some freeze frames or it's that slow-mo where you're aware you're watching a movie is kind of it's very good mm-hmm. i'm i'm very film school right now it feels like i'm so sorry uh, <laughs> well there's also you know to 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 just kind of uh bring all the kills together with the second kill he does something completely different but i think it is it is also kind of brilliant in that you have this character and it, it and it's done a lot more fast and and violent but you've got someone who comes up behind this character with a with a knife and brings it up to their throat and you're thinking oh no i'm about to see if this girl's throat gets slashed yeah and then it freeze frames right before it's brought across her throat and then you go oh okay we're not gonna see her throat get slashed and then the freeze frame breaks yeah and it and it pulls across the throat yeah and and it's it's yeah it's it's wild it's like oh gotcha yeah but i'm not going to show you that the blood and then it's like no never mind here's the blood yeah he's doing he's just like i don't know it's like it's just it's everything's like a little off of what you're expecting in a way Mm -hmm. which is what makes it interesting i feel um but yeah the kills as a whole and even even because i don't know how much we want to go into spoiler territory because it's not a it's not a well-watched um a a popular film in terms of watches but like even the kind of the final stuff it's like you don't see it the like the the big final kill you don't even see mm-hmm. uh but because it's latest but it's more important in the story than the final kill um, i think i think we, we gotta go into spoilers just to to talk about the uh the, the, the story structure here um yeah. yes yes which is something else that is very unique in, about in, this movie yes yes but yeah, the, but the slow mo kill is like the first one. Also, too, I was rewatching it this time, and the, again, the way the blocking is in this movie is mm. really fantastic. Like it's it's the blocking when when they're showing Teresa uh, uh, around the the school for the first time when when mm-hmm. Senora is showing her around the school, and it's like these long tracking shots 
going through multiple rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you got to think in 69, that's a really difficult thing to do, to yeah. do it like that, that much in a, in a, in a very kind of confined space. Cause I don't know if that was a set part or if that was, uh, 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 at the actual home, but like, it's the way that the way he blocks is, is quite fantastic. Um, and I think we'll go back in the, ed- the editing too. Cause the editing I think is what is so yeah ingenious. yeah i mean obviously ingenious. the editing for the kills but then like you know you've got that sequence and if we're getting into themes we can talk about kind of sexuality in this movie because yes. it's really important but you've got this sequence where uh the <laughs> these girls are so kind of sex craved yeah. and repressed that there's this man who comes and stocks the woodshed once a month and they have a lottery for who gets to go sleep with the the woodshed guy yeah and they're all kind of like yeah he's fine he's fine to look at but like this is literally our only chance to to be with a man so uh but then you've got that that sequence where they're all the, the all of the ones who have lost are kind of trying to sew while they're while they know that the girl who won is out there with the with the guy in the woodshed and it's and it just builds to this just like sexual repression frenzy that is yeah. wild it is a it is an insane scene where basically every shot is like you're you you hear the sounds of when when the girl goes into the mm-hmm. the barn with the guy and it's playing over the scene where you're just watching them so mm-hmm. and every shot's just getting closer on them and they're all just like feeling it's like a getting to like a fever pitch in a way where they're all just becoming so like they can hear hear it in their heads basically of like what this girl's getting to do that they're not going to do um and it it really hammers home that sexual repression that's like that's running throughout the film from mm-hmm. louise to even even senora has these weird moments where it's almost like there's how, if there's queer coded stuff in there or what oh, yeah. but, the, but the way oh, she, yeah. yeah the way the way she kind of looks at the girls is very like uh how yeah very uh, in, in an attractive way or almost and sometimes jealous in a way of this these younger girls that surround her basically yeah you've got you've got a scene early on where she's having you know the the real trouble student punished yeah and she has her like stripped down and whipped and and she's like you know a little too into it and then she has this moment of like oh no we need to we need yeah. to stop this immediately yeah. and it's that it's that's also the scene in the shower when like it's the mm. same girl is like kind of kind of mocking her kind of like like almost making her do something mm. uh and knowing almost like this girl like knows the secrets uh that that senora has or whatever it's just a yeah it's there's so much so many layers in this movie in mm. terms of like themes uh, yeah, and, and when you when you talk about you know what Serador was trying to say as far as about the Franco regime, you have this thing throughout that is like repression leads to violence. Yeah, and you see that with Irene. You see that with you know how how eager of a bully she becomes. Yeah, and 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 you know they they've built this regime, and, and you know she wears she wears this uniform that's that's not not unlike that of a Nazi. Um, yeah. Of a soldier. And, and you get that scene, you know, where they are just bullying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Therese. Yeah. And, and it is, it is violent and it is gleeful. And, yeah. and she, 
and her, her you know they're we're cutting to shots of her friends that are like oh, this is going a little too far yeah and it and it is it is definitely queer coded and it is it is sexual and it is all this stuff that is like this is what happens when you repress everything yeah within a young person this is this is what it leads to and then obviously we won't dip too far into spoilers yet but they're coming yeah if you're, if you're still if you're still listening to this episode and you're like i haven't watched this movie yet they're coming they're coming We're it's on there. tubi for free it's on tubi for free if you don't I mean so go get tubi i think it's there's a bat there's like a, a, a transfer or whatever on youtube at one point but, but I, I think this is still ultimately a morality tale at the end because yes. we you know who do we we have someone learning a lesson that is like this is what you get you have been repressing everyone here but yep. especially one person in particular and look look what comes of it yeah Th- these these children don't know any better and you've taken everything away from them and this is what they have to resort to yeah and and going with the scene when when teresa is being essentially like whipped by I- irene uh it's like irene is basically accusing her uh, of of teresa teresa's mother being a prostitute is what it is mm-hmm. And, and she's fat like she's fascinated by it. she's yeah. she's so you you can tell that she's so like curious and fascinated with what that world is like that she's she's driven into this fury by like wanting to know more yeah i wonder if there's like a kind of a class issue there too where it's like because she kind of like oh you're from this area oh your mom's from this area oh only prostitutes live in that area because mm-hmm. it doesn't go fully into like the background of these troubled girls, but it feels like they're all from a wealthy society. And it feels like Teresa, Teresa is, is not in that way, Mm -hmm. but she has a, she, she comes in. It's not her father. It's not her mother. It's it's this random gentleman who comes in. Who's a friend of the family. Yes. Her, her mom obviously has money, but she has to have someone kind of act as this. Yes. Uh, go between because she is, she is not, it's not it's not uh you can't you can't talk about where that money comes, comes from. from exactly but she has you know she has nice clothes she's taken piano lessons like she's been raised well but you know in in, in paris in a or you know wherever in a uh in a cabaret yeah and one thing i love this movie too is like the way it kind of even builds out the some of the supporting players like Mm -hmm. i think i think it's isabel who's the maybe it's not isabel but whoever the girl is that is the uh the the big troublemaker who's like Mm -hmm. wearing different colors at the beginning of the movie who's the one that gets whipped she like she's a character like that's just almost a whole separate storyline with her she does not Mm -hmm. get involved in any of the murders or anything but he builds her out pretty well in terms of like what her what her conflict and story is really just mm-hmm. with senora it's almost just that that's like one of senora's big plot lines yeah yeah well and we've got her kind of as a red herring yeah. spoilers again you know for for the 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 period of the movie where we think and and irene thinks as well that senora is the one killing these girls but it's like well obviously she's coming for her next like yeah that's she she's she's the one that, that's gonna get in the past it's always been anyone who tried to run away if, if you yes. try to run away you get killed or you yeah. just disappear and no one yeah. ever hears from you. And, but, and that's what the rumor is that I think they've, they've run away mm-hmm. and that, that maybe she has killed them. Um, if not, cause that's what starts kind of coming at one point is that Irene starts kind of seeing 
what's going on she's like all these kids are running all, all these girls are running away but like usually we would think we'd hear from them at some point mm-hmm. or hear from their parents but we're not hearing from anyone about these like six girls who've run away um because smartly the movie comes in like after some of these these disappearances have started you're mm-hmm. not saying it from the very beginning so it's like i mean it's interesting too i think a good uh, a if you did a double feature with this movie i think picking a hanging rock is a great double feature with this mm-hmm. movie yeah because they have similar themes and ideas are and then this mystery that surrounds them all both definitely queer coded exactly um but yeah i like the way he builds up these characters um is there a scene that i haven't mentioned before we dive into spoilers that, that you wanted to to say no i think i think we we covered yeah the the shower sequence is is really interesting as well because I, I do think as as much as a film from 1969 can, I think as far as a a genre that has some very negative uh, f- things to say about female sexuality, especially in the 80s, it's kind of like, let's let's ogle these naked women and then murder them for being promiscuous yeah, yeah. Um, is, is a very common uh the theme in, in some of these films it's it's definitely touched upon in cabin in the woods yeah but i think this this has a weirdly healthy look at it you know it's, it's yeah yeah none of these girls these girls are are being punished in the film but but as far as like the morality of the film goes none of none of these girls are being punished for trying to be sexual you know yeah and and we we never really ogle the 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 male gaze never really ogles them we've got this kind of shower scene but but the um they're all the headmistress makes yeah. them yeah, yeah. it makes them wear these and i mean it's her it's her own kind of Repressed, rigidity yeah. And, yeah. And, and everything that makes them wear these like nightgowns while they're showering but but the removal that that isabel's removal of her nightgown is not played as this like Oh, here's someone getting it is a it is a moment of rebellion for her and a moment of freedom. Yeah. But it doesn't show like everything to make mm-hmm. it like sexual. Like like to to be, I guess, yeah, to, to be sexual in some nature for the for the audience. Like you said, not male gaze. And um, then if we if we dip into spoilers, uh the person who is a voyeur in this film is is our is our killer. Yeah. Um the person who's who's the who is a peeping tom. Yeah. Again, very, very psycho like in what mm-hmm. they're doing with like even just when he because he's peering into the shower scene at one point, and it's again very reminiscent of Psycho when Norman is looking into the peephole uh to see Marion Crane. Uh it's the same thing where he's doing the same thing where he's looking through like a, a, a crack in the wall or like the, the vent or whatever to see the girl showering. And he's he's essentially being throughout the whole movie uh is is being repressed by his mother and it's very mm-hmm. again very odd mother-son relationship <laughs> in compare like 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 and very on par with psycho where it's like i want you to find a, a girl like me like find a girl find a young not like these troubled girls but find a young girl like me and i mean the the thing about this movie watching it this time uh like i wonder how well you spot he's the killer early on because like me this time I was like, oh i can it's very easy to see now yeah i don't remember how we felt when we first watched it if like, we always thought it was going to be him i, I yeah i I, th- I think they they definitely make it they, they set up kind of the the gardener as as someone yes. creepy 
and and there's obviously something strange going on with the headmistress but but yeah when i when i go back and rewatch it i'm like is was it a mystery from that i can't yeah. remember but i i do think it is if not a mystery then a shock of, of yeah. the motivations you know yes. the, the ultimate reveal is you don't see coming um yeah and I, let's just spoil it here because if you yeah so if you count this count this far but basically the ending the shock is that he has been killing these girls very also silence the lambs-esque in a way where he essentially takes body parts from these girls to make the perfect woman specifically make a younger version of his mother and yes. that's where you're just like this is batshit insane like yeah. at the very end like it just becomes like what like it's like you might expect he's the killer you you i you could give someone a thousand guesses i don't know if they would guess he was gonna take the body parts of these women combine them together and make the perfect make his perfect woman mm -hmm. uh that was a big shock for us when we first mm -hmm. first watched it um and then it just in the way and the way it ends it's just it leaves it all hanging basically oh it's the ending is so good yeah as far as like great scenes like what what an ending he's got her he's locked her in the room he has that like all, all you know i've I've made this perfect woman now all that's left is you have to teach her talk to be to like her, you talk yes, to and her then he, he locks his mom and she's lily palmer screaming yeah and then it just it just keeps punching every with every one of her screams it just punches in closer and closer yeah. on this like smile he's got on his face and then that that weirdly beautiful piano music yeah. comes in because it is it it's the music box that he had that he has that yeah, he has. yeah. It's, yes. it's his theme which yeah. you know is another reason that we, we should have known he was the killer, he was the, whole the, killer time. the whole time yeah but also to go with that kind of switch what i thought is so fascinating we i know when we watched we thought this is the way it switches pov yes and it's not jarring like it's more just like oh it's about this character instead Mm -hmm. oh wait no it's about this character because when you come in naturally you think oh the your main person you're following is Teresa. she's the she's the audience surrogate she's new to this world and we're seeing her react to it and they're like okay great she's she's the she's the lead and then about an hour in it's only a 90 minute movie or so she gets killed and you're like oh mm -hmm. wait is she not the main character and then it's like oh wait the person we've been hating the entire time irene yes. she's the main character all of a sudden yeah. it's such a oh it's such a great and it and it works yeah it completely works because she has been the, yeah she has been the bully and if this if this weren't a murder movie you know if this was just a high school drama she would be the out and out antagonist but yeah. but but she gets wind that that something bad is happening and it's just like you know there there are bigger things in life than bullying these yeah. other girls i have to figure out what's going on here and she it, she plays it so well i mean yeah. it, the, the character turn feels completely organic within yeah. the film because she's because what kind of starts she's waiting on she sees that Teresa is gonna try to escape and she's and like, she has this weird fascination and infatuation with, with Teresa. so with instead Teresa, of yeah. turning her in she's gonna go i'm gonna catch spy her. on her yeah i'm gonna spy mm -hmm. her and catch her and and probably who knows yeah who yeah. knows blackmail her do something and so she's waiting and waiting and she never comes out. And then she's like, well, she had to come this way. And then she goes and walks around and finds that Teresa's stuff is still there. She dropped from the window, the top window. And then she goes in and she, she finds, she sees the scene where Teresa was murdered. 
but there's no kind of trace except the window is weird it's been trying you can tell someone's trying to open it and then it's like you see you see a footprint is what it is mm-hmm. and then she tries to say what if these people uh are being murdered not being not escaping what if they're being murdered and then she tries to blackmail senora and it's very it's very again she doesn't really say it outright but it's basically i'm gonna like i'm gonna go out and say all the stuff you do to these girls the entire time like what mm-hmm. why why this place is like it is and and the question i have too because that scene kind of feels this way do you think senora knows her son is behind some of this i don't i think she's i think she's blinded, she's blinded? i think she okay. yeah i think she thinks he's he's a little angel yeah because there's something about it just feels like there's hints that she might know that he's she knows that something's wrong with him and instead mm-hmm. of trying to get him help or, or kind of, she shelters him. Yeah. And basically she keep, represses him she represses in the same him. way that, that, that she's doing with these girls. Yeah. You, every, everyone here stay and listen to exactly what I say. Yeah. And everything will be good because I know what's best. And with him, it's like, stay and listen to what I say, but don't talk to any of these girls. Mm-hmm. So you're like, well, what does he do? He just stays in a room all day. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's going to go well. That's gonna go, yeah, exactly. And what I what I find fascinating too with this movie too, again talking about the editing, it's not just how they cut something, but also how they choose not to show certain things. Like an example is when when uh, Louise is stuck in the like vent or whatever, mm-hmm. and Therese is in the shower, and what another filmmaker would do is you'd have Louise kind of like like lay or miss or whatever he's saying to her. Uh, and then she, you you cut to her going up to that place and letting him out and then having a moment. They just don't do any of that. They just let you mm-hmm. assume she let him out, and then it cuts them now kind of seeing one another. It's like a it's like a match cut on her yeah, with a little the, the audio overlaps where it's like, what have you been doing, Trace? And then and then she says, we've been seeing you go in the boiler room for yeah. weeks, and you're like, whoa, we just time jumped. We just time jumped. And you're like, wait, oh, I guess she's now seeing Luis. And mm-hmm. that comes into play again when she's about to leave and she goes to see him like, hey, I'm leaving. He goes, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, here's some money. Take it. Like, whatever. And they, again, they try to keep that mystery alive. Like, oh, what if it's not him? Because they always, he's helping her at one point. I know previously with the other girl, uh, it shows them hiding in a room together and someone walks up to the door. And mm-hmm. so it's like, oh, someone's tr- someone's following them. But it's really, it's like, it's really just him hiding the secret of what he's actually doing. And yeah. when he, and at the end, when he turns into the, his explanation, it's so creepy. Like he's mm-hmm. so creepy. Uh, uh, John Mulder Brown. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. But yeah, all it's, the a, it's a great, right. as far as like kind of maintaining the mystery, I, I think it's a great chase sequence leading up to the climax. Oh yeah. Cause you've got, we're, we're now with Irene. She's our main character now. And she thinks she fully thinks that the headmistress is coming to kill her. And and at some point while we're watching, because we're also seeing the headmistress kind of follow her at some point while we're watching, we're like, no, she's not. She's not trying to kill her. And, and, and so then you're like, well, then what is going on? And then. Yeah. And then she finds Irene's body and then you're like, oh, yeah. But, it, but he, he makes it seem like cause she has a knife. Like mm-hmm. when when I read her, her letter opener, her letter yeah. opener, she's holding, she drops it. Is she just holding it for a letter? Or is she is she holding it to do a weapon? So you, you don't. He tries to keep you in the dark as long as possible. 
Um, yeah, I think I think the consensus is whether or not it's one of those movies where if you're watching it with a friend and they see the first kill and they're like, oh, it's it's the it's the boy, it's the son. You're yeah. like, yeah, but just just wait. <laughs> yeah, but do you know like why? You think it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's I, I think it's a good movie to watch with a group because I think it also like it, it is more entertaining to be like, you know, what are they doing? What's going on? But yeah, just the mm-hmm. filmmaking wise, it's so. Again, I'm interested to see what you what you say in kind of the aftermath because it's so underappreciated in terms of the, mm-hmm. the filmmaking. Yeah, um, and 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 I think it's it's fascinating, especially given the the context of the making of it. You know how much yeah. it does have to say, especially about living under a fascist re- yeah. regime. But um, but you know, for 1969, kind of about about female sexuality because you know ultimately when you take that that sewing scene uh, outside of Irene that sewing scene is like this, this is what the movie's repress, about. Yeah, what yeah. repression, what sexual oppression looks like in women. Like it's yeah. there, it's, it's longing and it's urgency, but it's, it's not, it's, it's never, it's not violent. And then yeah. with, and then with Luis, it's like, this is, yeah, this is what toxic male Ma- sexual yeah, repression. Ma- yeah, looks exactly, like. exactly. Exactly. Five girls have disappeared in less than four months to raise is the fifth. In every reformatory or boarding school, girls are always running away. Yes, but in time one hears from them, their parents write or bring them back. But I'm in charge of the correspondence here. We've never heard from any of these girls again. Well, perhaps they got home and their parents just never bothered to write. Well, then why didn't you write to them to let them know what had happened? Are you telling me what I'm supposed to do? I am telling you that strange things happen here. You and I know about them. It was you who taught me. But there are other things that I cannot and shall not tolerate. Just a little bit on set life. There's not a whole lot of, of information out there. But uh, the film was shot in 70 millimeter CinemaScope, which oh, wow. was a rarity yeah. and a luxury for a horror film. Yeah. That's why it looks so good. Yeah. Um, that's probably owing to the taste of DP Manuel Berenger, who was a successful cinematographer who had worked uh, on a lot of credits. Probably his most uh, notable one was he was the second unit DP on Dr. Zhivago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not a whole lot of information about the production life of the movie exists, save for a few interviews with the child actors. Uh, the children recall Lily Palmer as being very professional, but friendly with them, despite her having a reputation in Hollywood as a bit of a bit of a hard ass yeah um you know in all honesty i don't see how anyone could be married to rex harrison for 20 years with (laughs) and she and she did that she was in cloak and dagger with fritz lang so i I, also a Mm. hard ass yeah uh john Mulder brown remembers the language barrier creating a divide in the social lives of the actors with he mary maud and a few other the english students being quite close in the hotel uh, he said, despite the language barrier, barrier, he developed a hopeless crush on Christina Galbo, who played uh, Therese. I totally understand that. <laughs> totally get that. So on to our aftermath. Film became an immediate source of contention in Spain upon its release. With news that the film was government funded to be the first official Spanish film export to America, turning critic columns and newspapers into political war zones. Keep in mind, with government involvement in such a contentious political period, uh, most of these reviews just had more to do with Spanish politics yeah, than with the film itself. 
Uh, one critic spent his whole review breaking down the budget of the film, insisting <laughs> that Sarador had ripped off the government and I that any competent this. director yeah. could have made two films for the price of this one. Another prominent critic came out in support of the film, saying that a gothic horror felt like the right commercial choice to send to America. Yet another critic declared the film disrespectful to cinema and to audiences as a whole, saying that it insulted him personally and questioned the legitimacy of any critic who liked it. Oh, God. So, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you think about it. What a uh, dick. <laughs> you know, it's like very contentious time for politics it's yeah. it's really the first time in 30 years that you can speak out politically at all without the fear of repercussions and then somebody's like well this this is the first the government made this movie and we're sending it to america to represent spain it's like <laughs> you have a lot to say but uh, despite these critiques or perhaps because of the media firestorm the film became a huge success in spain there are reports of lines snaking city blocks to see the movie, and it became the highest grossing movie in Spain. It was released in December of 1969, and it ran almost constantly through all of 1970, ending with a gross of roughly $7 million in today's money. That's wow. accounting for the for the conversion rate for yeah. the Pesado, which is very low. And if your budget was $2.5 million today, and you made that, that's a good, that's a decent profit, honestly for, for mm -hmm. that because i mean they, they weren't spending the marketing like the way we spend nowadays is what i have to basically i saw i found a, one brief interview with sarah Dora where he was very excited about the fact that in within spain this movie made more money than when gone with the wind was released <laughs> in spain he's like hey uh, american international pictures struck a deal to distribute the film in nice. america AIP was a distribution company focused on releasing teenage-oriented films. The company started with the distribution of Roger Corman's *The Fast and the Furious* in 1955. No relation to the, Fast of, uh, to, to the *Fast and the Furious*. Yes, uh, they released many of Corman's films throughout the 50s and 60s before launching the beach party movie craze mm -hmm. of the 1960s. Yeah, I, for I forgot this was an AIP movie. I forgot yeah. AIP was on this. Yeah. Although the producers of La Residencia had envisioned it as a marquee success in the States, AIP pushed it out like any of its Corman B-movies, distributing it primarily to drive-in movie theaters as the late-night B-showing. Mm -hmm. I think we've, we've covered this on, on the podcast before, but A-movies were the first movies when you, when you used yeah. to sell double features. A-movie was the first movie you showed. It was the mass appeal one. It was the one for, for everyone to see. And then the B movie was usually a little bit schlockier, was usually yeah. kind of genre, was yeah. usually a little bit more targeted yeah. at older audiences because it was the late night movie. It was, yeah, it could be a horror film. Usually it could be a, a noir in some way or it could be uh, uh, an adventure film. And that's that's kind of the thing within film history when you talk about uh, Spielberg kind of creating the blockbuster. What was really revolutionary at the time was he was taking yeah b movies and applying a movie budgets to them and making a moon a movie money yep <laughs> so the film enjoyed some cult success as a b movie with some horror fans remembering it running at their local drive-in through much of 1971 the uh the only critic i can find who reviewed it he didn't review it at the time but leonard malton included a blurb about it in one of yeah. his you know movie roundup books uh he did not like it. Not uh, a big yeah, horror yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Malton Lenny does not seem like a guy who was going to like this movie. No. At that, at I don't that think point, we, I don't time. think we watched any horrors with him. Uh, uh, 
we watch like suspe- we watch suspense thrillers. That, I that would say Berlin Berlin syndrome. Berlin syndrome? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he gave it one and a half stars and called it grisly. <laughs> the... oh, if he only knew it was going to happen like a decade when Halloween and stuff <laughs> came out. <laughs> the U.S. release was also perhaps disappointing due to the lack of agreement over the title. Uh-huh. Though the studio uh, pushed it out to America as the house that screamed. Some theaters ran it as the boarding school, while others report seeing it as the perhaps most fitting, the finishing school. Ooh, I like that one. I like right? that one, too. I like that more than the house that screamed, honestly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As the title doesn't, like, yeah, doesn't really make sense for this movie. Like, again, we picked the movie because of the title when we watched it initially, mm-hmm. and the title just like. We're like, oh, it's gonna be schlocky fun, like kills a minute, like every kind of minute. And there's three kills the entire movie. Like it's it feels it feels more of that kind of like we like the legend of, of Hell House. It feels more like that kind of like seventies British yeah. era. A lot of those the house that dripped blood. A lot of a lot of those I, yeah, in the sixties in England like, were kind uh, of named like that. I remember yeah, I reminded a little bit of like or oh, in terms of tone and stuff, like the innocence with the the that was like the jack clayton did that was basically like the tame it was turn the screw adaptation where it was very much kind of similar like in a mm-hmm. house kind of ghost but also about sexual repression stuff that's so I, I think of that movie when i think of this movie mm-hmm. well uh regardless of of why it didn't do well the film failed to make much of an impression on american pop culture uh despite being the first spanish film to play on broadcast television uh cbs showed it as a late night movie in 1973 it was given a gp which was the early rating similar to a pg by the mpaa which made it allowed to run on tv with limited changes it was also i think like the fifth movie to be featured on elvira's movie macabre in Uh, 1981 this movie makes sense for that yeah very early on featured uh, so Serador went on to direct one more feature, another cult horror film called Who Can Kill a Child, sometimes yeah. known as Island of the Damned in America. And yeah. his TV series continued to run through 1982. He also created a very popular game show in the 1970s called Uno, Dos, Tres, Dispara, Otra Vez. Okay. Yeah, I've been yeah. meaning to watch Who Can Kill a Child because I, I've heard, like, it's a lot of people I know who, who really like House of Screamed like that one even more mm. is the thing and it's also one that is somewhat difficult or it's hard to find um i know i know cinephile has a copy of it i just keep shouting out cinephile today but yeah i know they have a copy <laughs> physical media guys support yep. it <laughs> mm-hmm. um but yeah despite la residencia being a box office disappointment in the united states it had a much more prominent legacy however in the world of euro horror Dario Argento's The Bird with Crystal Plumage would debut a year after this movie, launching the already popular Italian giallo genre into global popularity. So we talked about giallo a little bit at the at the top of the show, but to give you a little bit more background into it, um, giallo in Italian means yellow. Came to be a popular term for detective novels as a as a popular publisher of de- dime store detective novels in Italy published them with very bright yellow covers so this came to be a term used to describe just murder mysteries as a whole and i mean this is in like the the 1920s 
But once filmmakers like Mario Bava began making gruesome films that merged murder mystery with horror in the 1960s, and these became popular worldwide, audiences outside of Italy associated the term giallo with this particular subgenre of mm. horror murder mystery slashers. So while the term giallo casts a very wide net, it's most often used to describe Italian horror films produced from the late 60s through the 70s that presented a murder mystery focused on grisly deaths and incorporated the revolutionary visual and editing styles that were sweeping Europe off the back of the French New Wave. Mm -hmm. While Residencia quite obviously fits all of these characteristics except for not being produced in Italy. So it is, it is brought up a lot in the debate as to whether or not it fits as a giallo. It, it has everything going for it except yeah. it's not Italian. It's not Italian. And where the film is most often brought up in the giallo conversation is in relation to Dario Argento's 1977 film, Suspiria. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the most enduring success of the giallo films. I think, I think that's fair to say. Can't think of one that's more famous than Suspiria, yeah. really. Yeah, it, it's. I think that's his most famous film. Um, is it? I mean, and and is that even a giallo? Is the question. I mm. feel like this fits more as a giallo than that does. <laughs> but Suspiria bore so many similarities when it came out with La Residencia that Argento had to release a statement claiming he had never seen La Residencia. Many horror historians are still skeptical of that statement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's. And again, the giallo and kind of the, like they, they again helped lead way towards the, the slasher genre as we know it. But yeah, I, I feel like this movie, like it, it's tough. It's, it's like, do all spaghetti Westerns have to be shot in Italy is the question. Mm. Um, I feel like not all of them were, I think, <laughs> I think some of them were shot in Spain. And Quentin Tarantino would beg to differ. Yeah. I, I feel like it was mostly, it was mostly in Italy. But I feel like I feel like some were shot in Spain. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm insane. I feel like I talked about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're yeah they're in Spain. So like, if you're gonna say that you can you can have that, if a spaghetti western shot in Spain or done in Spain, it could be a spaghetti western. I feel like you do the same thing with the giallo. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I I think I think this hits all the literally usually I'm like oh yeah it, it's a giallo, but because it's in Spain, some people don't credit it because like yeah it's not Argento, it's not Borough Crystal Pruma, it's not not Deep Red. Um, but yeah, I think I think it still fits in that category. I'd agree. And I think, you know, like we said, it's, I think it's a very early, early, just like Giallo led into the slasher. This yeah. this leads into the, the heyday of the slashers. Yeah, I, I feel like this is kind of a bridge in a way to like the Giallo film and, and, and the slasher. And I think, too, it's like I think it actually compared to most Giallos, I think it has more to say at the mm -hmm. end of the day. So what works in the house that screamed or la residencia or la, the yeah. finishing school or the which finishing I like school yeah i i mean i we said it before kind of I, the way the craftsmanship is excellent i think the the way they move the camera like the blocking of the camera the blocking of the actors the editing i think the score is fantastic um i think the way they kind of build some of these characters uh beside characters like it's it's there's a world here is basically mm -hmm. what I'm they, they've created a world where even though we don't know what's outside of these gates um of the school we don't need to because because of this repression the sexual oppression and the themes 
it, 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 it makes you aware of like this outside world that these girls are not able to be a part of in some way. But yeah, I, I just think top, like I think just the way it's made is fantastic. And I think these, the, the kills they do are so unique and, and especially again, fresh for the time when again, this, this genre, either slasher or Jala or whatever is, hasn't fully taken off yet. And it has mm-hmm. the qualities of what would become the genre. Mm-hmm. What about you? What do you think? Yeah, no, I think it, I think the atmosphere is fantastic. I think, you know, there's a lot of debate, uh, especially in recent years with kind of like the rise of A24. There's a lot of debate yeah. about slow horror. And, uh, you know, how many times have you had an interview or a conversation with somebody and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I didn't care for that one very much. And they're like, it was a little slow and they're like, Oh, you don't like slow horror. And I'm like, no, it's like, if you, if, if something's going to be slow horror, like the stuff that's happening in between the, the scares has to be really compelling. Yeah. You can't, you can't give me a, a film of some character that I don't know anything about, like walking through a house and like nothing happens and then be like, Oh, that's, that's like really good. Slow horror. Like you, you, I need, I need characters. I need plot, yeah. you know, it can still be slow. I, I, I'm not saying I need, murders left and right but i think this this functions as a movie outside of being a horror movie which is which is really which is really great um and and yeah i mean i I echo everything you say it's it's a gorgeous gorgeous movie it is it is surprising in in the kills and in the way some things are treated like that Mm -hmm. that that time jump edit we were talking about some of some of the edits are, are really risky and really exciting and um and then i think yeah it's just an absolute chiller of an ending and i Mm -hmm. think it's i think it's leaves a great impression i agree completely so what doesn't work um i did wonder about the mystery aspect of the of the sun of the Mm -hmm. sun this time if that doesn't fully work um especially because you know with the first kill that she is going to, she is going to, to the greenhouse to, to meet him to meet him and so you're like of, of course it's him so i think i think it needs a few more red herrings is the thing and it doesn't it doesn't hammer the red ha- hammer home the red herrings that it currently has like you have the creepy ground the greenskeeper but you you don't see a lot of him to like it's like you mm-hmm. see him that one kind of like when she, when 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 Teresa looks up and he's in the window and you're like oh god that's like the <laughs> one kind of jump scare, um, but we don't really come back to him that much like besides the the guy showing up with the the, the woodsman or whatever you don't really see that that the greenskeeper that much so I felt you could have done more with that character, um, and yeah and may and may make up with other other kind of red herrings along the way, um, that's the big thing for me. Mm-hmm. What about you? What's made that one for you? I mean, I I don't I don't love a dub. I, I understand that's that's you know kind of kind of the best way to to pull this movie off with this cast. But it, yeah. but especially it and that that's always you know I love a spaghetti western, but it's always kind of weird too. And like some of the lines sync up with the mouths, and the other lines don't sync up with other mouths. It's uh, yeah, it can it can pull you out of, of it a little bit, bit. but yeah. um. But I mean, everybody in the cast is great, and and I think they, the ones who aren't speaking English, still really kind of sell, 
the movie, which must be wild. Like, cause, yeah. cause there are some that you can tell are not speaking English when oh, you yeah, watch they, the dub and there, it's just there, like, yeah, there's one in the, in the, in the, in the greenhouse. I was like, she didn't say a single word on set that she just said in the dub. Like you, you tell the mouth, yeah. the words are not that's matching. Got, that's gotta be challenging whatsoever. as a performer that yeah. you're just like, I am not speaking the same. Like we both know like what we're supposed to be getting across in this scene, but we are not speaking the same language. No. Yeah. And all that, I feel like that'd be a difficulty on set. Yeah. Anything else? I mean, obviously what didn't work was the distribution of it. And I think yeah. this, <laughs> I think this should have a, this like anything, anything you read online, any, anyone you talk to who has seen it is like this, so obviously had a huge stamp on giallo it's it's it we'll, yeah. we'll talk we'll talk in, in in trivia in a minute but i'm sure you know it it had a huge impact on a very famous director but um mm-hmm. yeah it should just be known more like it obviously had a cultural impact it's just like yeah. very high you know it, it had an impact on suspiria and then suspiria became famous it's like it's like trickle yeah. down but nobody knows this one yeah, I, when I always pitch to people, I'm like, it's Suspiria before Suspiria. And, and even though, yeah, mm-hmm. there's different plots to it and everything like that, but I think you're seeing a predecessor to that kind of genre. Um, at the mystery and the kills. And just this, like, I mean, to a boarding school movie. I don't know, we don't get a lot of boarding school horror films that much nowadays, it feels like. <laughs> at least they're good. Um, that yeah. I know of. Um, but yeah, I just I, I think it's 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 one that deserves to be looked at and appreciated more if you don't like it as much as we do i think it's one you still can gain something from if you like horror if you like slashers if you like jalos if you like just if you like crimson peak you might like this movie it's it's like it's this, this kind of production like the costume drama horror film in a way um not saying it's just like crimson peak but there's like you have that element of like those old school horror films all right so just a little bit of trivia, but uh, off off the back of that, uh, most of the you know the the criticism or the 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 one person out there in the world who hypes this movie up a lot is one Guillermo del Toro. Oh yeah, um, big fan. As I just mentioned Crimson Peak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as someone who made an anti-fascist uh, boarding school movie. Yep. Um, but you know, this, this is something that was obviously a big influence on him, kind yeah. of the, the Gothic horror of it all, the, the making political statements, specifically setting horror within the Spanish civil war, mm-hmm. a, lot, it, a lot of influences and, uh, you go back and listen to our Guillermo del Toro month. If, yeah. if that piques any of your interest. Yeah. And it, I, I forgot, I forgot kind of the, the, the connection to devil's backbone. Yeah. It's very much that yeah back mm-hmm. from march go check those those that four-part series out yeah um, he's 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 made two films that are very specifically anti-franco um so yeah very very inspired by this one also a little bit of a throwback last month we briefly talked about bell book and candle as being uh yeah. jimmy stewart's last role as a romantic lead yeah. uh lily palmer originated the the main role in bell book and candle on broadway along with her then husband rex harrison oh wow did not know that yeah good bell book and candle good little film i don't know if it's a if it's more of a christmas movie or a halloween movie to watch because she's a witch but it takes place at christmas in the beginning uh, it's on it's on criterion has it up right now as a halloween movie oh do they i mean is she, mm-hmm. she, she she's a witch so that that makes sense but also i think the opening is at christmas time but yeah it's weird seeing jimmy stewart 
in a in a romantic lead at that age, and Ken <laughs> Novak is much younger than him. At least he realized the, it. The CBS release of the film reportedly only had one alteration in Teresa's death scene when the knife across her throat briefly freeze frames before then sliding across the scene was just ended on the freeze frame. The rest of the film was just shown as is. I mean, it's a tight, it's a tight little move, tight 90 yeah. minutes really. But uh, yeah, I'm not there. There is an extended cut on the Blu-ray. I'm not sure what the differences are. And, and you know, when you talk about the, the similarities to psycho, that first stabbing scene is, is very, the, the, the knife is be actually being superimposed over a shot of her body so like we don't we don't ever see the knife yeah go in stab her at yeah. any point in that one either yeah yeah a lot of psycho stuff i keep saying but a lot of psycho stuff in this movie mm-hmm. and as far as the legacy of this film it has also been screened at tarantino's new beverly cinema as part of a spanish anti-fascist horror grindhouse along with jp simon's 1980s film pieces oh yeah I mean, so pieces yeah uh, moving on to awards for this, uh, this one, this one might be might be a little a tough, little but let's do the I, Beatrice Strait Award for the actor actress with limited scenes that kills it. Yeah, I do want to make a, a quick correction. I think we told Isabella is the one that's the the troublemaker. Uh, mm-hmm. It's actually Catalina. Isabella is the one who gets killed it's the first. First, gets right? killed because yeah. the way the way they they I you'd feel like Catalina would be built above her because mm-hmm. she's in more, but she's not. So that's why I got confused, uh, and they don't. Uh, yeah anyway but yeah i think the the one who played i know the one who played isabella went on to do some giallos so she might have been in one before which is why she was yes may have been billed a little bit higher she she did a few more movies because she's actually one that actually has a like a wikipedia page and a more Mm -hmm. more more defined uh yeah i do we would we count like yeah, those other girl, the other girls in the boarding school, as Beatrice Strait. Like is Catalina Beatrice Strait, or is she more Annie Potts? Um, I think she'd be Beatrice Strait. Okay. Yeah. I uh, like the girl who uh, is the one who kind of like teaches her the lay of the land. The one who yes. ends up going to the woodshed. Um, I, for me, I, I would I would put uh, Pauline Sh- Shalner, who plays Catalina, is is up there. Mm-hmm. I think she's not in it enough but i think that's the character i'm kind of fascinated by because she is they build her out a lot but she doesn't have a lot going on in the main plot of it yeah yeah you, you, you know you said the film could use some more red herrings and i feel like she's like a victim red herring yes you're like you know like something is definitely gonna happen to her and, and then, nothing and ever then it does. does yeah but but like pretty much by the last 45 minutes she's kind of non-existent mm-hmm. um but yeah, I think I think she's really good, and I, I'm I'm shocked she didn't do that much. I mean, she has basically she has credits uh, until 1974 is the last thing. Mostly TV, it looks like a lot of uncredited roles in the 60s and 50s, um, and La Residencia, the House of Scream, is kind of one of her big. I mean, she was in One Step Beyond, was another big film of hers, um, hmm. or TV show. Uh, but I don't know if she had a big part in it or if it's just like the most popular thing that she was in. Um, but yeah, surprised she didn't do more. But I like her in this movie. How would you like to live a few days in complete seclusion? If I remember correctly, you've already had that experience. Would you like to try it again? As you wish. No, as you wish, Mademoiselle Isier. I don't give a damn. 
I doubt that. You can doubt all you please. All right. Our Annie Potts X Factor Award, the supporting actor or actress that is the most memorable. It's a tough one to call because we've got the the changing main characters. Yeah, I, 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 I think, oh man, I... And because even when they're the main character, they're not the, they're not focused the entire time. So I think if you're picking, I feel like Mary Maud as Irene is in this conversation. Mm-hmm. The question is, is Christina Galbo as Teresa part of this conversation? Not like who, who is the main character in this movie? Yeah, I don't, I, I think, I think the argument is that Senora is the lead character because we, we do start on her in the first scene of the movie. Mm-hmm. So we see her big arc as the movie goes on. So she's probably the the official lead of the movie. Yeah. Um, but I think Teresa and Irene are kind of fighting for it. Um, yeah. While I do love Teresa, I think Irene has a more interesting arc from going from bully to essentially your detective protagonist in a way Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and and she sells it i think she sells that turn yeah that it it is very it is very abrupt and and it and it you know if you had somebody who was playing the bully kind of your typical like 80s high school bully yeah i don't think you you would believe that turn necessarily but 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 you know, even before the turn, kind of the way she plays as a bully, you you completely get her character motivation, and you mm-hmm. and you know that it's not, it's not from a place of like violence or hatred. It is from this like repression and and yep. curiosity and 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 feeling trapped in this place. And so it just it it just makes sense that that she's not okay with a murder. Yeah, know? exactly. Uh, but yeah, I think I think she pulls it out because it's it's a it's a tricky role to play. That's a very mm-hmm. tricky role. And she's able to kind of make that switch with ease, I feel like. By the way, Therese, you haven't a father, have you? Therese, dear, I asked you a question. Have you or not? No. My father's dead. Are you sure? Yes. You're lying. My, my mother has a photograph. It's a very old one. But that could be anybody's. You've got your mother's name, haven't you? Well, have you or not? Yes. In Madame's office, there's a register of all the girls. And as I'm in charge of the correspondence, I get to know a lot of things. So don't try and deceive me, Therese, dear. The Gene Hackman MVP award for the person who carries this movie. I mean, I think it's Sarah Dorr. I think. Yeah, I, I think it has I to be. I think, especially it, being being the writer director, and what? and having the the guts to turn this even under a pen name, turn this script in, knowing that the fascist regime is going could possibly be seeing it and will be paying for paying it. For it. And you're you're like, oh yeah, uh, Louise. Louise wrote it. I don't know where he yeah. went. Um, yeah, he was he, a staff writer for our show, but he like quit like yeah, yesterday. He quit, he quit He's yesterday, gone. But I, I really like the script. You don't like it? Okay, cool. Yeah, I think he. And again, for a guy who only made a like a very two movies basically with this and Who Can Kill a Child, um, uh, it, it's 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 a filmmaker we should have saw more of. I feel like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, because it it feels so 
it's so interesting like yeah. it 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 it's shot beautifully it looks like a a classic film like yeah. you know it, it it looks great for for the amount of money it was made for and then you get these these moments of just completely breaking with yeah. with any kind of film practice at the time and you're like whoa yeah but still like so polished again for like mm -hmm. a first feature like it, it's fascinating so yeah i think i think sarah Dorges. i mean like i said editing is great cinematography is great blocking is great i think the design production design and costume design is fantastic for this type of role uh type type movie so yeah i think and that all kind of goes back to him being the leader of this team um again just the way he he builds tension again we didn't mention this scene but like when Teresa's is trying to leave and mm -hmm. like she's like when she's walking in the dark and her her arm actually hits the bell yeah that we've planted much earlier in the movie when she rings it when she comes in to the boarding school because she's never been to a boarding school before and rings the bell so like it's it's very much she's planning and paying paying off stuff fairly well throughout the film so yeah it's yeah it's yeah. a shame we didn't get more movies from him yeah yeah absolutely yeah and i'm i'm the same way i definitely need to see his other one because i i've seen several people who say that's that's the better one which yeah, I, I find hard to imagine it's hard to believe yeah, yeah, yeah i agree what are you doing teresa what do you do in the boiler room almost every afternoon i've seen you go in there several times but you've seen me there one of the things that madame Fonro resents most is any one of us talking to her son didn't you know all three of us can swear that Lewis and you have locked yourselves in there alone quite a few times. We want to talk to you later. After the music class. We'll expect you in the dining room. And if you're not there, we'll have to talk to Madame Furneaux. So final questions. If this was remade today, we'll say we'll say in America, you know? Yeah. Just cause it because it never really took off and it deserves to be seen. Uh, who would you cast? Okay. I feel like I've used both these people before, because right, I I don't know who to cast for the for the kids. I will just say that I don't know who okay. to cast. Do you have anyone for the for the young girls? You know any any, any creepy young boys or or innocent young girls lately? Um, I mean Jenna Ortega could probably be one of these girls at some yeah. point because we're casting all these all these uh uh she's in every horror film it feels like this past year. Um. Who would she be? Who do you think she'd be? Think she'd be more of a, a Teresa? Ooh, I'd I'd do her as Irene, Irene. and then like McKenna Grace as as Teresa. That's not a bad pick. I like that pick. I like those picks. Um, for for Senora, one easy choice I think is Helena Bohm Carter. Mm. Is, is out there. I think that's yeah. an easy choice. I think Julianne Moore is their interesting choice as well mm -hmm. for that role. Do you have someone that you you think? I I really like Helena Bonham Carter. I think that'd okay. be, I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. I think I also picked her for Halsu way back when, so that's why I, <laughs> I feel like this just oh, it's the aunt. This is up her alley. I think she could play that very well. I, I could see her being a being this character. She could, I think she could tackle this character fairly well. Mm -hmm. So we got Helena Bonham Carter, McKenna Grace, and Jenna Ortega are our three for sure once uh, yeah and i think if 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 you're a producer and you're trying to get this up and going you have to offer it to del toro like you can't not <laughs> offer it to him first yeah just to see if he wants to do it and give let him have a, a, a pass on it if, if the script's already written 
I, I think it'd be perfect. I think it'd be perfect. I agree. That would be so good. We, that, would, we, that would be cool to see. I gotta be real. It would be cool to see. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we have this film here for for slasher month. Uh does this fit within any other genres? Well, we said it fits into kind of the, the subgenre of Jalo, murder mystery, um, school movie as well if that's if that's how you want to de- define that i wouldn't call it a coming of age movie <laughs> um, not, not many of them get to come of age yeah but it does deal with issues of coming of age with the sexual repression and 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 uh and all that but i think a school movie why i said it, it has the clicks it has all that it has the classes they all go to um you see the kind of the hierarchy of the school and i think if i think uh, the sexual oppression as well is is kind of gothic horror i, I Goth- feel like yeah. a lot of gothic horror and, and we talked about kind of southern gothics before a lot of that yeah. is all about this kind of sexual taboo yep. stuff that's that's being kept under wraps you know that that, yeah. that you're not allowed to talk about no yeah i agree I, I think it fits in there very well i mean you could that's the thing you could go put this in the south somewhere like a southern boarding school if you, mm-hmm. if you really wanted to so to bring it back to slasher month how does this film in particular fit in with with our our slasher journey well his his main the guy's main weapon is a knife so mm-hmm. we got that that's that's down pat um you have this murder mystery element that's there um i think i think in a slasher movie, you have to have multiple kills for one mm-hmm this has multiple kills. It's it's on the fence because it has it has like three kills and two of which we see. Um, so I think it has that, and, and yeah, it has with some of these slasher films. Like weirdly, we haven't talked about this yet, but like well, we can't talk about Psycho, but like sex plays a part in a lot of these slasher movies. No, oh, yeah, is the thing, and so sex is very much lack of sex, or in some case, is is very apparent in this movie um, that fits with this genre. Yeah, and and I think you've got an early. It a lot of it is obviously done off screen, but but as far as like an early slasher, you've got kind of paving the way for like bodily mutilation. You know, yeah. like like Psycho. When you talk about when you talk about killers, there's this idea of like the process killer versus the the um, trophy killer, which is like, yeah. are you doing it because you like the act of killing? Or are you doing it because you like? bodies and, and yeah. messing with them and, and you want a dead body to 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 play with yeah um and and you know we get we really just get kind of that look of with irene's hand Hands, being yeah. gone and then we get to see the final product but that that's going to become a big thing within this genre as 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 more and more get seen on screen is this like what it's not just someone getting stabbed it's somebody getting you know, and, and and the slasher genre has kind of become known for yeah. the kills. The you know, kills, how, yeah. how is this kill going down? Like, what's going to happen to the body? How is someone going to find it? And so I think this this kind of early movie kind of paves the way for like, oh, he's not just killing them. He is messing with the bodies. Yeah. Is a sadistic human being, basically, is mm-hmm. the thing. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Again, I think of Silence and Lambs that comes to mind of like oh, yeah. Bill is an example of someone that does something similar. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's all, yeah, I agree with that, that point. All right. Well, that, that concludes f- for uh, the house that screamed the finishing school, the finishing school, La Residencia, La Residencia. Um, I truly hope that you guys took our warning and stopped and watched <laughs> this one. Like we said, it's free on Tubi. Yeah. It's free on, uh, it's free on YouTube. 
Um, you can probably purchase it somewhere too. Uh, if you've already gotten this far, I'm sorry. Uh, but there's probably somewhere to purchase it. But you know, every, every once in a while we like to cover one that we think more people should be seeing. And, and this is, this is one of them. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like a year or so ago, you were like, I want to find a way to cover this movie on the show. <laughs> You're like, can we do something like school movies or boarding school movies to get this movie on the show? Uh, mm-hmm. And it finally, it finally happened. We finally yep. found a way um life finds a way sometimes and yeah it's one that i think should be looked at more should be again if you don't like it i think there's stuff you can kind of gain from it in terms of just the context that we kind of talked about today of what's going on in spain at that time what's going on these 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 genres that time um Mm -hmm. it's worth it's worth looking at so if you can or if if you haven't for some reason yet please go do it um because we might talk about it but just us talking about you i don't think you can gather what's actually fully happening visually with the things we discussed, like these kills and everything. It's definitely mm-hmm. worth worth seeing. Um, but next week, speaking of slashers and, and all that good stuff, uh, we're talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We're finally we're finally getting into the golden age. To the beginning of the golden age golden age, even though it's before it's before Halloween, but it's it predates it, but it's it's the beginning of low feels like low budget horror films in America. So I'll have I'll have my buddy uh David Glenn the fourth uh coming on for that so be prepared um but that's all we have for in this episode if you have any questions for us feel free to contact us at cinationpodcast at gmail.com send us your questions comments or kind words and if you're a new listener of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us yet be sure to subscribe to nation podcast to stay up to date on all of our new episodes you can subscribe to our show on apple Podcasts, spotify Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. <laughs> you don't have anything, do you? <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote the script for this one. I uh, uh, listen, guys. We've we've seen we've explored what happens when things are repressed today. So if you've got thoughts on the podcast, don't repress them. Let them out. Yeah. Post them on your your podcast platform of choice. Hopefully, they're good thoughts. Yeah. But, you know, even if it's bad thoughts, you know, we'd like to hear it. Yeah. Just don't give us a rating. If that, I don't want to bring that, bring our rating down in that case. <laughs> no. Uh, but, yeah. And finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and TikTok. All that good stuff. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.